Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning. So, empty, that's good. Uh, So for anyone I have not met, my name is Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and Harrison already kind of tipped this off. We're in a series called Back to Life. Really what we're looking at is ways that we can re-engage the important rhythms and relationships in our lives in a time that honestly looks kind of weird, right? We've all been through some things. There may be some things that kind of got taken away over the last several months that are never coming back. There may be some other things that are coming back, but they're coming back a little weird and a little different. And if you're anything like me, you probably feel like you're, you're basically juggling more than you can handle, right? Like spinning plates, just hoping that I make it to the next one before it crashes to the ground and shatters. And, and what we want to talk about this morning is how do we get back to a spiritual life in the middle of all that, right? How do we get back to our relationship with God and our relationship with one another? And, and that's the crux of what we're going to talk about. But if we're going to get anywhere we got to start in the same place. I got to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, And so I need to let you know that when I talk about juggling more than you can handle, when I talk about plates crashing to the ground, when I talk about your cup being empty, I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about the last two weeks of my life that involve three three three-year-olds, two children going through e-learning, multiple health situations in my house, and I'm running from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day, and anything I add is added outside those hours because that's the only place to do it. And if I find 20 minutes in the day, I'm just trying to catch my breath. There's a a guiding principle in life and certainly in ministry like, like this, right, that you cannot pour from an empty cup. And I know that my cup's empty because every relationship I'm trying to pour into, I'm coming up short. I'm not the thoughtful husband I want to be. I am not the patient father that that I wish I was. I'm not the attentive and available pastor that I want to be. And even the simple things I'm responsible for are going by the wayside. Don't even ask my HOA about the height of the grass in the back of my yard right now. Right? Things are just hard, I feel weary and empty. And I had this defining moment Wednesday morning where I am on my second of three very early morning Zoom call meetings and and I'm trying, like I want to care about the things we're talking about, but it is all I can do to focus on how I'm even gonna get from this meeting to the next one because I'm booked so tight. And what new curveball is going to be thrown my way today that I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with? And I all of a sudden hear a thump. Now, I'm in the back of my house on the porch having this meeting, and the thump is in the front of my house. And in an instant, I realized that that thump is the garbage truck and that I did not bring the cans to the road. And all you whose responsibility that is in the home, you know the feeling of defeat 
that happens in that moment, right? But it's gonna be okay because the next meeting I have is with my mentor. And I know that I'm gonna lay this all out and he's gonna pour some wisdom into me and I'm gonna be good. And I get to the church, it was here at Define Coffee, and I get my coffee, which was in fact killer. Like that was good. And I sit down and have a little text exchange and I come to find out that due to a miscommunication that was probably my fault, he thinks we're not meeting. And so he put someone else in that slot and I cannot express to you in words the sense of weariness that came over me in that moment, right? No, no inspirational pastor verses lifted my spirit. I'm thinking about things like First, uh, first Peter 5.8, right, that says that, that your enemy, the devil, uh, is like a prowling lion seeking to devour whoever he can. Things like John 10.10, where Jesus tells his disciples that, that the enemy comes, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and I am just weary. And I do what is a habit of mine. I pull out my phone, I go to the Bible app, not to memorize chapters or do some deeply spiritual study, just to see like, what is the verse for the day? I half expected it to be that first Peter verse. And I pull up the verse and this is what it was. This is for those of you who can't see it, let me slide this puppy back a little bit. If you can't see it, this is Jeremiah 31, 25. And it says this. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. And in that moment, I'm the languishing soul. And God spoke to me in that verse in a way he never has before. And it didn't fill my cup, but it put a couple drops in. And I decided I got 40 minutes before I got my next meeting. I'm going to go up to my office, and I'm going to listen to some worship music. Think about some theological stuff. I'm weird, that's soothing for me. Like I'm gonna go do those things and try and fill my cup a little bit. And, and I do that and I start to feel a little bit better. And then a coworker of mine who's privy to my calendar, so she knows what my life has been the last couple of weeks, says, hey, is there anything on your plate that doesn't have to be you? Like anything I can do for you to lighten the load a little bit. And then I'm getting text messages from a friend who wanted to buy dinner and have it sent to my house for my family, reminding me, hey, please take me up on this. I really wanna do it. Men in my community group are texting me to find out, am I okay? They're texting me verses and, and my cup starts to fill. And all of a sudden I remember John 10, 10, right? Because the part that I was thinking about was just the first half where Jesus tells his disciples that the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. But then I remember how he ends it. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in that moment, Jesus filled my cup because that's the life. When we talk about a spiritual life, that's what we're talking about. Abundant life is not about your circumstances. It is about the reality that when your spiritual needs are met, the pain of living is reduced to a point of comfort. And that is the life we wanna talk about today. And the reason I was able to experience it is because I happen to be at the intersection of my relationship with God and how it plays out in context to my relationship with others. 
And, and so that's what we're going to spend time looking at. If I had to uh, pick just a sentence to summarize the big idea for the day, it would be this, that who I am to God informs who we are to each other. And who we are to each other reminds me of who I am to God. And so we've been in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to spend time talking about that this morning. And, and in Nehemiah 8 and 9, it actually lays out four really practical, non-abstract things that we can do as we re-engage life to make sure that, that we get to experience Jesus filling our cup. But before we get to that, you kind of have to understand the backstory. Um, so very quickly, the Israelite people, Jerusalem, was their home. The temple was there. That is where God was glorified and worshiped. There were these incredible walls around it that defended it. They defined the city. All that has been destroyed. They were sent off into exile. And when we come into Nehemiah, this is decades later. Right? So decades later, they return home. But that temple, it's gone. So they rebuild it. But scripture tells us that it's not the same. Sure, they've got a temple again, but it's not the temple they had. And we talked about last week, Nehemiah rebuilding those walls. But again, the walls, they're also not the same. Some people don't even think there should be walls anymore. And, and so where we enter in, in chapter 8, Ezra the priest is trying to help these people get back to their spiritual life in an environment that looks foreign at best to what they're used to. So, First place we're going to go is verses 2 through 6. It says this. So Ezra the priest brought the law. Very quickly, the law refers to the Mosaic law, right? I, I call that the define the relationship talk between God and his people. But for them, this is the word of God. They didn't have the Bible. They had this. So he, he brings the word of God before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And he does this on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square by the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that he had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a whole bunch of names I can't and won't try and pronounce on his right, and on his left, a whole bunch of other names I can't and won't pronounce. And it says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, they all stood. And as Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so this... This shows us the first item that we're going to be talking about this morning that we can work into our lives, and that is God's word, right? So we're talking about the Bible, but I understand that not everyone is super comfortable just sitting and reading the Bible. Like, it's not like everyone sits down, look, I got to spend years studying that thing and learning history and culture and all these tools so that it's this really fun, enriching experience. And I know that's not true for everybody. I also know that there's probably people who are like, hey, me and Jesus, we go back decades. Like I may not read the Bible, but, but my relationship with God is good. 
But here's the thing. The point of God's word is to reveal who he is to his people. And so if I love God, how could I not want to have him revealed more? And and there's a a helpful realization when, when I come to understand, like, God's bigger than I am. I'm never going to fully understand him and reach a point where it no longer serves me to learn more. You know, I, I reference my relationship with my parents in this context. I have a real good relationship with them. Uh, in particular, my relationship with my dad the last 15 years, I mean, he's like one of my best friends. Like, I know that guy. We talk about everything. But my wife, in her wisdom, because she's got a lot of it, uh, for Christmas, got my parents this thing called StoryWorth. So it's like a service you sign up for, and every week for a year, they get sent a question. And they can answer that question as as detailed or as not detailed as they want. And at the end of the year, they compile all of these stories, and they create a book, right, which is a, a pretty cool gift. But because of the way she set it up, I get an email every time they answer a question, and I get to see the way they answer it. And I get to read these stories of this man that I know so well But when I hear him talking about his Air Force basketball team and how awful they were, how they played one team and lost 104 to two, but we're just grateful they got to have the two points, right? It paints a deeper picture of who this man that I love is. And that's what God's word is meant to do for us. It reveals to us who he is and a little bit of who we're meant to be to him. And so the second thing, that we see happens very shortly after this. So this is in verse 10. It says this, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's talking about celebrating. Look, I was 27 years old when I put my faith in Jesus. And the first 20 years, I did a lot of celebrating you shouldn't do if you catch my drift. So my view of following Jesus of the Christian life was that it was vanilla and dull and sad and somber. And that could not be further from the truth. Because when you realize that God is alive and active in your life, you get to celebrate these small miracles he does every single day. The trick is not only to recognize them, but when you celebrate them, don't celebrate them alone. Celebrate them with people. Listen, the whole reason I have that screenshot of that verse is because the second I read it, I screenshotted it and I texted it to my wife to celebrate what God just did with her. You know, I I think this is maybe a better example. Uh, Check this out. That is 
one of my favorite videos, and it's not just because he's adorable, which he is, uh, but it's because that moment, right, happened during my community group. Like it was one of those first steps that you happen to catch on video, but the celebration that our people joined in on in that moment, I'm gonna cherish that forever. And so it is important that we recognize the miracles God does in our everyday life. We celebrate those things, but we have to be sure we're celebrating them with each other. All right, now this in the story leads back to um, what is called the Feast of Booths. I'm not gonna teach you all about that. We don't have time for it. Picture a massive camp out where the whole town is camping out and just having a great time for days and days and days. Then we come to verse 18. So it says, and day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Right? This is a regular rhythm that they had built into their lives to set time apart for God. To, to set time apart from the everyday, even if it's celebrating, from the everyday to have a, a day of Sabbath worship with God and to do that together, right? That's, that is a rhythm that, that may sound churchy, but that rhythm exists everywhere. Like if you're, a, if you're a, a fitness person who's really concerned about your diet, there's a cheat day. If you're in the gym all the time, there is a rest day. If your staff has gone virtual like ours did for months, every single week, we had a day where we had a staff meeting, wasn't even about stuff. It was about being together and finding a, a time to gather. If you're married, you probably do a date night. The point is that we set time apart to focus on the relationships that really matter. And if my relationship with God is one of those, how could I not set time apart to spend time worshiping him and focusing on him? And so that is going to be the third, we'll call it Sabbath worship. All right, and then the fourth and final thing that I want us to look at this morning happens in Nehemiah 9, verses 2 through 3. It says this, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, if you were to read, that's verse 2 and 3, if you were to read verses 4 through 38, you would discover that it was a prayer. That it was a prayer that, that acknowledged who God was, acknowledged his faithfulness, and admitted where they had fallen short in who God called them to be. And it, it was this thing that you would think would be like a downer and a negative, but there is this beautiful thing that happens when we own those things, when we confess them to God and we have the opportunity to actually experience his grace and his forgiveness. You know, I've been working with people for a long time, a couple of decades. 
And, and the common thread that has always been something I've been involved in is, is people with addictions, or you can call them secret sin, whatever you want to call it, people who have a thing that they are so terrified anyone could ever find out about that they carry it around in a backpack because if they ever set it down and get found out, their lives will be destroyed. And, and I watch these people carry these things until they get so heavy that they either trip, stumble, and drop them, and they're found out, or they simply can't take the weight anymore, and so they lay it down and confess what's been going on. And, and I've been in so many of these moments where, where people really are teeing up the destruction of their whole life, and they confess these things, and this irrational peace comes over their face when they realize they don't have to carry it anymore. Now, that's everybody. Imagine being able to give that to God, who we already know not only will forgive you for it, but he'll help you carry it. That's what these people are doing. Prayer and confession is not a downer. It is a joy. And so that is going to be our fourth So when I, was, when I was writing this sermon and thinking about this, here's what I found interesting. I said that this is about the intersection of two relationships, right? And, and here in these four things, we see those two relationships highlighted pretty clearly. So God's word, right, is really in relation to us. It's meant to help us to know more of who he is and a little bit about who it is that we are meant to be in him. Right, so that's this relationship. The relationship that we're supposed to express in community with one another, well, it starts with celebrating the good things that God does, but celebrating them together, making sure we're doing that with one another in our everyday life. And then we're supposed to set apart time to be able to celebrate those things, to be able to worship God together in a time that's set apart just for him. And so if you look at it visually, right, the intersection of these two relationships is smack dab in the center of the cross. And that is where I find Jesus, who is the filler of my cup. And so when these four things are a part of my regular rhythm, no matter how well or poorly I do them, when I make them a part of my regular rhythm, I'm in the best possible position to find Jesus so that I don't have to walk around Pouring from an empty cup because he can and will fill it if I give him the opportunity. And so before we can finish, we got to do three things. First, I'm talking about finding Jesus on the cross, but if you don't know Jesus, you can't do that. And so, so we have to pause and say that if you are someone who is hearing my words, whether you're, you're in the room or you're online, and you know that feeling of weariness, of emptiness, you know that you need to be filled and nothing you're doing is working. And you think that maybe you wanna try Jesus, you wanna put your faith in him to fill your cup. I gotta give you that chance. So if you already have a relationship with Jesus, you can pray along with us in agreement as an affirmation of something you've already entered into, or you can pray in faith for those that, that may be praying this for the first time, 
But if you're that person that never prayed it, we're all going to bow our heads, and I just ask that you pray along with me. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We acknowledge our own sin where we've fallen short and our need for forgiveness. And we thank you for Jesus and his provision of it. Jesus, please, would you be my savior? Would you send me your Holy Spirit and, and show me how to live? We pray this in your name. Amen. So quickly, if you are someone who just prayed that prayer, first off, welcome to the family. And second off, please don't let the day go by without talking to somebody else about it and, and letting them help you figure it out. If you got nobody and you need someone, you can find my info all over the website. Please connect with me. The second thing that we have to do is kind of the thing we did last week for anyone who heard Pastor Mike's message on marriage, talked about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls and taking stock. And so, so I need to challenge you to take stock of these things in your life. Do you actually spend time reading the Bible? How often does that happen? And if, listen, if you're someone who never does that, simplest thing in the world, download the YouVersion Bible app and read the verse of the day every day. It's an easy open door. If you've been doing it for a while, you need some help. We got Bible studies that help with that. We got all kinds of classes that can help with that. There's ways we can come alongside you. I've found that, that for the element of prayer and confession, doing it right after I spend time in God's word is a great way to do it because I'm reading his word and I'm being reminded of how good and faithful he is. And so in those moments, it's perfect for me to pray and confess. When it comes to the, the element of, of celebrating, well, I don't think I need to instruct you on how to look for God's miracles, but I would ask you, who are the people that you celebrate? Do you know? When God does something amazing, who is your first call or your first text? Is it your community group? Is it your neighborhood? Is it, is it a friend from long ago? Just know who those people are that you can celebrate with. And the fourth way that I wanna challenge you, I feel deeply, is, is how often do you actually set a day apart every week to worship God? I know how our schedules are, believe me. And I know that there are a lot of really hard things that happen as a result of the pandemic, but our priorities and our schedules were given a reset button. And so my encouragement to you would be, talk to one another, think about how going into this fall, can you prioritize your schedule to be able to gather and worship together once a week? And the final thing that we are gonna do, which is, my absolute favorite uh, is we are going to receive communion together, right? And, and the, reason, <clears throat> the reason I love communion so much and that it fits so perfectly with this specific sermon is that it is literally acknowledging who we are to God and who he is to us. And when we do that together, we remember who we are to each other. So, so if you're at home, please go ahead and get your elements. If you're here in the room, hopefully you've got one of these on your way in. Um, I would encourage you, I hear some of you doing it already, to try and get that wafer out, because man, that's not easy. Um, and I will, I will guide us through this. We are going to take together, and I'll, I'll kind of instruct you as we go. But every time 
that we celebrate communion, we always remind people that this is for anyone who has put their faith in Christ, whether that was 30 seconds ago or 30 years ago. And every time we celebrate this, we, we are reminded of the night on which Jesus was betrayed, when he gathered for a meal with his friends and, and he took the bread and after he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to them. He said, here, eat this. This is my body broken for you. You can take and eat. Let's worship together now. 